0: The Old Testament reading is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. And this is the infallible and inerrant word of God. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And now let's turn to John chapter 1. This is our New Testament reading and our sermon text. In the prophecy we just read from Deuteronomy, the Lord promises that uh, he will raise up a prophet like Moses one day. And we read in John now, in John's prologue to his gospel, uh, the fulfillment of that promise with the coming of Christ. So, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, Since we are now in uh, the Advent season, as we uh, look forward to Uh, Celebrating the incarnation and the birth of Christ. Uh, We're going to uh, set aside uh, the book of Romans uh, for uh, a few weeks, several weeks. And and the messages that I will be bringing on uh, Sunday mornings, uh, the focus will be on the incarnation and the birth uh, of Jesus. As you know from Luke's gospel, on the night in which uh, Jesus was born... Uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to a group of shepherds who were tending their flocks out in the fields at night. And this angel of the Lord said to the shepherds, uh, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, indeed, this was great news or good news of a great joy because the people of israel uh, including these shepherds uh, have been waiting with eager anticipation with longing for the arrival uh, of this day Uh, for centuries uh, the lord had given uh, promises to his people he had given the hope to his people that one day he would raise up a savior and a king uh, to deliver his people and to reign over them. And uh, this coming savior, of course, would be called the Christ or the Messiah. And the Christ, he would bring that long promise, long anticipated redemption to the people of Israel. He would uh, deliver his people uh, from the oppression of their enemies. He would reign over his people uh, forever and ever Uh, with a reign of peace and righteousness. And now, on the night of uh, the birth of this baby boy to this obscure uh, girl from Galilee, on this night, the angel uh, appears uh, to the shepherds uh, because the promise of God has come to fulfillment. And so no wonder, uh, along with the angel, a whole multitude of the heavenly hosts uh, Join the angel to give praise and to sing praises to the Lord. Uh, both heaven and earth uh, rejoiced. Uh, this was good news of great joy. All the hopes of Israel now were coming to pass. Uh, glory to God in the highest. Christ has come. Uh, the baby Jesus is born. The Messiah is here. Uh, praise the Lord. Now, when we look a little closer at the word Christ, there is more meaning to it than we might think at first Uh, the word christ is from the greek uh and uh the greek word uh, christos and it is a translation of uh, the hebrew word which we uh uh, call messiah and this uh, hebrew word messiah and the greek word as well uh, they both mean anointed one anointed one And uh, this word anointed one, Messiah, refers to the fact that in the Old Testament, there were three types of leaders or officers who served Israel. There were prophets, and there were priests, and there were kings. And all three of these leaders, they were anointed. They were anointed with oil at the beginning of their uh, ministry, their service in their particular office, prophet, priest, or king. Uh, We have similar uh, ceremonies of inaugurating a person to serve in an office. When we have a new president on the day of inauguration, Uh, he lays his hand on the Bible and he swears that he will uh, faithfully fulfill all the duties uh, of the office of president. Or maybe a little closer to home, uh, when we ordain a new uh, pastor, uh, the presbytery lays uh, its hands on the pastor and prays over him. And this is uh, his inauguration, if you will, uh, to begin his service in that office as a minister of the gospel. Well, in the Old Testament, this inauguration, this uh, commissioning uh, to serve as a prophet, priest or king, this was done with the anointing of oil. And so Christ, as the anointed one, because he is called the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, he is the great Prophet, priest, and king. He is uh, the prophet, priest, and king that every prophet, priest, and king that came before him was pointing towards. Now, Jesus was not actually anointed uh, until uh, he began his public ministry, and his anointing was not with oil, uh, but was with the Holy Spirit. But already, you'll notice uh, from the verses I read from Luke's Gospel, already at his birth, he is called Christ. He is already the anointed one. He was born the great prophet, priest and king. And it is as prophet, priest and king that Jesus accomplished our salvation. And so as we consider the birth of Christ today and and in the next uh, couple of messages uh, this month, uh, we'll consider uh, the birth of Jesus from the perspective that he came in the world in order to be our prophet, priest and king. And this morning we'll focus on the first of those offices, the office of prophets. And we'll proceed by asking three questions. First of all, uh, what is a prophet? Uh, Secondly, why do we need a prophet? And thirdly, how is Jesus our prophet? So we'll ask those three questions. The first one is, what is a prophet? What is a prophet? In the Old Testament, uh, a prophet was uh, called by God person who was called by God and sent by God to proclaim the word of God to the people of God. And the Bible gives us a very basic, very fundamental idea of what a prophet was to be when it describes for us the call of Moses uh, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. Uh, when the Lord called Moses uh, to speak the words of God to the people of Israel in order to lead them out of Egypt. Uh, in response to this call, Moses protested to the Lord. He said, I am not an eloquent man. I've never been an eloquent speaker. And he asked God uh, to send someone uh, else besides him. Now God uh, became angry at Moses, um, at his reluctance to uh, obey his command. But nevertheless, out of his grace and mercy, Moses gave his brother Aaron to him to be a spokesman. And this is what the Lord told Moses. He said, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. So just as Aaron was to be the mouth of Moses, Moses would give the word of God to Aaron. Aaron would be Moses's mouth and speak those words to the people of God. So in the same way, a prophet was the mouth of God. A prophet declared the words of God. And so a prophet, that is a true prophet, one who was a faithful prophet, he only spoke what he heard from God. It was not the prophet's calling uh, to invent uh, things that he thought that the people of Israel should hear. It was not his uh, commission Uh, to rely upon his own wisdom to give pious advice to the people of Israel. Rather, he was a mouthpiece. He was God's mouth to the people of Israel to declare what the Lord said to his people. And so, for that reason, the prophet spoke with authority. It was as though the word of... It was as though the Lord himself was speaking to his people through the prophet. Uh, You who are parents of young children, uh, you are actually, you're uh, very familiar with this kind of arrangement. Uh, There are times uh, when you are uh, too busy or too tired uh, to um, tell one of your children what they have to do. And so what do you do? Uh, You uh, find one of their siblings and you tell them, uh, say to tell your son uh, what he's supposed to do. And so you say, uh, go and tell your brother Uh, Mommy says, you must do such and such. And of course, there is nothing that gives that child more satisfaction than to be able to go to his brother and say, Mommy says you must do this. And that's because that child all of a sudden, unlike usually, this child now has a special authority, a special uh, kind of power over his or her little brother. And when you've done this, you've actually commissioned one of your children to serve you as a prophet. And this is what a prophet did. Of course, a prophet doesn't say, mommy tells you to do this, but the prophet says, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. And the message that uh, the prophet communicated to the people of Israel was whatever God willed his people to hear. Uh, the prophet may come uh, with the word of God, a, a command for God, Uh, That they are to repent of their sins. That was often what the prophet spoke. Or the prophet may declare to the people of uh, of Israel uh, the coming judgment because of their uh, disobedience and unfaithfulness. Or the prophet may bring a message of hope and grace and compassion uh, from the Lord to his people. But that was what a prophet was. He was to declare God's word to his people. And that brings us to the second question why do we need a prophet? why do we need a prophet we don't live in the days of old testament israel uh, but we still very much need a prophet and we need a prophet because we are by nature spiritually blind by nature we do not know god we do not have true understanding and true knowledge of god and his will for us we are ignorant concerning the truth about god It's true. Romans chapter one tells us that God has revealed his truth to all people in the things that he has made so that all people have received the truth about God. And so all people do at some level have an understanding that God exists, that he is all powerful, that he is wise, that he is good and so on. But Romans one tells us that we suppress, we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And so although at one level we have some understanding of God, yet at another level, because we suppress that truth, we have become darkened in our understanding. We have become spiritually blind. We are ignorant. We truly do not know God. Paul says in Romans 1, we've become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are darkened. And this is the way that the Bible describes our natural spiritual ignorance and blindness we live in darkness there is no light of truth of god within us our hearts and our minds are filled instead with darkness this is true for every single human being by nature in ephesians chapter 4 paul speaks of the darkness of the hearts of gentiles who do not know god he says in ephesians 4:18 They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They are darkened in their understanding. There is ignorance within them. That is true of us. Apart from the grace of God, there is no light within us. Paul goes on in the next verse in that chapter in Ephesians to say that this darkness results in sin. Verse 19, They have become callous, And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that's what's true about us apart from the grace of God. Because our hearts are darkened, therefore we walk in darkness. We are incapable of pleasing God. We can only, and we do only, sin against him. And so, in that sense, what springs from the darkness in our hearts and our minds is a life lived in darkness, lived in sin. Now, in a few minutes, we'll consider some of the ways that we show forth the spiritual blindness that we are born into. But just in general, for now, one way to think about this spiritual blindness is you know, just as a person who is physically blind, just as he can't discern, he can't make out the physical world around him because he cannot see. So in our spiritual blindness, we cannot discern, we cannot make out the world of goodness and truth and righteousness. In fact, it's really even more than that. Because we are spiritually blind, we get everything backwards. We turn everything upside down. What God says is true and good in our blindness, we say, is false and bad and and vice versa. Uh, The prophet Isaiah put it this way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, Consider our own society. Particularly in areas of human sexuality. In areas of the dignity, sacredness of human life. Why have we as a people come to the place that we explicitly call good what God has declared as evil, and we call evil what God says is good. It's because, as a people, we are enshrouded in darkness. Our minds are um, darkened. We have an ignorance of the Word of God, and this is the way it emerges, and we'll consider other ways as well. But this is what we are by nature. There is no true knowledge of God in our hearts, We are blind, we live and walk in this darkness. We are always heaping up sin against God. And if we are, therefore, if we are to learn the way of salvation, if we are to have the hope of eternal life, if we are are to be delivered from this bondage to sin that is a result of the spiritual ignorance within us, then we need a prophet. We need a prophet to take away this darkness. And this brings us to the third question. How was Jesus a prophet? How was Jesus a prophet? Well, praise the Lord, God did not leave the human race in this uh, miserable state of spiritual blindness and the sin that is the fruit of that blindness. But God, rather, was merciful. He was gracious. He set his love upon a people. He chose a people. Out of all the peoples of the world, he chose a people to whom he would reveal his truth. And he would uh, bring light to them. And of course, that was the people of Israel. And God revealed himself to his people primarily through his prophets. They were the means by which the light of God, the light of his truth, would be shown upon his people. And so that's what a prophet was. He was a kind of light. Uh, reflecting the light of God as he spoke the truth of God, as he spoke the words of God uh, to the people of Israel to, to cause that light, to dispel their darkness, that they might come to a true knowledge of the Lord. And that was true for every prophet, every true prophet. However, God, as we read from Deuteronomy 18, God promised that one day he would raise up a prophet from them, for them who would surpass all the previous prophets. Let me read A couple verses from Deuteronomy 18 again. Verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then the Lord says in verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. Of course this uh, Prophecy was fulfilled with the coming of Christ. He is the the extraordinary prophet that surpasses all the prophets who came before him. He was the prophet, the great prophet that Moses promised that the Lord would raise up one day. And because he was a prophet then, he brought light. He brought the light of God into the darkness of our world. In the opening verses of the Gospel of John, which we read, John tells us that the coming of Christ into the world was like the shining, not just like it was the shining of light into the darkness. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And just as the prophets of the Old Testament, just as they primarily... uh, caused the light of God to shine upon the people of God through their preaching and teaching ministry as they declared the word of God. So Jesus also, his major prophetic ministry, or the major part of his prophetic ministry was to preach and to teach. But there was something different about the way that Jesus taught. There was something different about the way that Jesus preached. Instead of saying, thus says the Lord, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I say to you." Uh, The people recognized that there was something extraordinary about this rabbi from Galilee. Uh, In Matthew 7, we we read this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In John chapter 7, uh, when the chief priests and the Pharisees send officers to arrest Jesus, those officers come back to them empty-handed. And when the Pharisees demand to know why they did not bring Jesus back to them, uh, they, ex- they, they, they um, explain to the Pharisees, uh, no one ever spoke like this man. Uh, when, when they heard Jesus speak, they, 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 they could not arrest him. They couldn't bring themselves to do it because of the, the sheer authority and the power with which he spoke. In John chapter 6, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, what made Jesus so different from every other prophet who came before him? Well, the answer is to that question is found in what the Apostle John says about John the Baptist in this first chapter in John. Uh, John the Baptist was also a prophet. In fact... He was really the the last of the prophets. That is, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the last of the prophets leading up to the coming of Christ, who proclaimed a Christ in his coming. But John says this about John the Baptist in verses 6, 7, and 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, the same exact thing can be said about every other prophet who preceded the coming of Christ and the New Testament prophets who came after him as well. They bore witness about the light of God, but they were not the light. Every prophet bore witness to the light, but they were not the light. But Jesus, he was the light of God. He himself was God's light. No prophet could say what Jesus said. He said, I am, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I think last week it was we had uh, the the full moon and clear skies, and so we could see the moon in all of its uh, radiancy. And if we didn't know any better, we would think that the moon was the source of light. But we know that the moon does not give off any light. It can only reflect the light of the sun. And the prophets who came before Christ did the same thing. They reflected the light, but they were not the light. But Jesus is the true sun. He is the one who is the source of light. And so the coming of Christ was like the dawning of the sun, the light of the glory of God, the light of the truth of God, with the coming of Christ now is shown in the world like it never had before. In the person of Jesus himself, the light of God emanated from him. This is uh, what Zechariah compares the coming of Jesus to in his prophecy, the, the father of John the Baptist in Luke chapter one. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so Jesus is the great prophet because he himself is the source of divine light and truth. And this this brings us to the incarnation. Jesus, and only Jesus, is the true prophet because only Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the eternally existing, eternally begotten, Uh, Eternally divine son of God who took on human nature when he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, To use the language of of John in uh, the first verses here. uh, The word who was with God, the word who was God, the word who was God became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And for this reason, because Jesus alone is God and man, Jesus alone can reveal to us the fullness, the fullness of the divine majesty and glory that the prophets who preceded him could only give a a reflection of. Verse 18 of John 1, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And Jesus made the Father known not only through his preaching and teaching ministry, but he revealed the truth of God through his actions as well as his words. His entire life, you could say, was one great acted out prophecy that revealed who God was. In his miracles and righteousness, in his righteous works, God revealed the majesty, the holiness of God, but also in the compassion, the tenderness, the grace that Jesus showed uh, to sinners, to those in need. He revealed the fullness of uh, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And when Jesus willingly went to the cross to die that cursed death, he revealed, like in no other way, the unfathomable love of God for us, his people. Here was the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, willingly taking upon himself the curse that we deserve for our sin, that we might be saved. What greater revelation that God is love can there be than that in the cross of Jesus Christ? Jesus makes known to us the way of salvation, and that way is by faith in him. By faith in Christ, you are saved from your sins. And in that way, Jesus uh, is our prophet. Now, what do we need to take from all this? That Jesus is our prophet, that he reveals to us God. Well, the, the application that we need to take from this is, is really very perfectly summed up in the words that the Lord spoke to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, When um, the cloud overshadowed uh, the three disciples and the voice of the Lord spoke uh, from that cloud, he said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. We need to listen to Christ. We need to hear the words of the prophets. We need to hear God as he speaks to us through his son and through His Word. We have the Word of Christ now in the Scriptures. Listen to them. Listen to Christ in His Word. Well, this month, many people, maybe in our nation at least, we could say most people, one way or the other, will be celebrating Christmas. They may not know, or they may not uh, self-consciously, or even Um, indirectly celebrated as the birth of Jesus. But of course, that's what Christmas is all about, celebrating the birth of Christ. But although many people will be celebrating Christmas, how many people will actually listen to the words of Jesus? How many people really are ready to hear the words of Christ who came to be our prophet? His words are light and life and salvation, how desperately we need to, the light of Christ. How desperately we need the light of Christ. We live in a dark world and there's often that darkness in our own hearts just because we live in this world. And our spiritual blindness is not uh, the case that we, we simply fail to apprehend the truth or Perhaps it's better to say we, 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 we refuse to apprehend the truth of God. That is true. But in our spiritual blindness, we not just reject the truth, but at the same time, we embrace what is false. Again, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, They exchanged. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Just like Adam and Eve, they rejected the truth of God because they embraced the lie of Satan. That they would not surely die if they took of that fruit and ate. And so in our darkness, in our spiritual blindness, in our unbelief, we not only reject the truth, but we embrace the lies of this world that ultimately are the lies of the father of lies, of Satan. I guess it's a Christmas tradition of sorts for us as Christians to lament and decry the commercialization, the commercialization of Christmas. And so it's become kind of a cliche to do so. But there is a profound lie underlying our tendency to turn the celebration of the birth of our Savior into a spending frenzy. And that lie is this, that we can find significance and identity in the things that we possess. We live in a consumer culture and we are bombarded all the time with the message that if we purchase the right brands... If we wear the right clothes, if we drive the right car, if we buy the right phone, we can create an identity for ourselves. We can find meaning, significance in the things that we possess. But the birth of Jesus gives lie to that message. Because Christ came into the world and he is the only one who can give us true meaning, true significance. Only in Christ do we find that identity, that significance that we seek in the possessions that we might purchase in this world. Another lie is the message of evolution or a radical secular worldview, which says, as a human being, you are nothing more than a complex and advanced animal. You are simply a biological, a chemical uh, product of nature. You have no more transcendent meaning or eternal significance than an insect. And along with this way of thinking is the lie that your life consists only in this world. That there is no more to life than what we can experience in this this life, in this world. And after you die, it's all over. But again, the incarnation of the Son of God declares the message that there is a God. There is a God, a God, a personal God, a God who has come to us in his Son in order to save us from our sin, that we might know and enjoy forever that blessed communion of fellowship with God as our Father in heaven. Yet another lie is that of human autonomy, that is, that we are our own masters. And this lie tells you and me, uh, you are free from all outside moral constraints. Nobody can tell you what is right or wrong. You choose for yourself what is right or wrong. You be the person you choose to be. You live the life that you choose to live. You determine for yourself who you are, what you will do, and what is right for you. And you can do whatever you want with whomever you want. This is the lie that speaks to us, that appeals to our desire to be our own gods, to be free from all authority, all moral constraint. But Jesus was born to show us that true life, true freedom is found in submitting to his life giving, his gracious rule over us. These are the sorts of lies that make up the profound spiritual darkness that fills our hearts, that fills our world. But the Christmas message is that the light of God, the light of God with the coming of Christ has pierced the darkness of our worlds. And this light of God shines forth in its brilliant radiance in the person of Jesus Christ. And with the birth of Jesus then the true light, the light that gives light to everyone, the light that is the life of men has come into the world And by coming to Jesus by faith as your Savior and Lord, his light is the light of everlasting joy and life and peace. Let's pray.